Scott Sehan, and welcome to Comfort Zone Exit. This is episode 10. I am in comfortable but cold and snowy Pipestem Studios in Oakton, Virginia, and I'm happy to be rejoined by the gentleman who holds the title of Time Out New York's Most Creative New Yorker, uh, and I said rejoined because he is the first return guest of Comfort Zone Exit. I've got professional artist Jason Borbay, a.k.a. Borbay, with me. How are you, bud? Ah, oh, doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, well, um, I, I would peg you as being probably my the, the most unlikely of return guests for the, the reason that um, in our first interview, we, we discussed at length uh, your background as a comedian and artist and, and people overcoming their fear and anxiety about producing content that's put out to the public uh, for consumption. And after recording that interview, it took me five full weeks to even open the audio file. I was so afraid of hearing my own voice and hearing what I had produced that I couldn't even bring myself to uh, open it. So I can understand that, man. I mean, I, I just pity that you had to listen to me talk for another hour. <laughs> so I would peg you as being an unlikely return guest because I, I took an hour and 15 minutes of your time the first time around, and uh, it took me five weeks to actually release it. Uh, so I promise this one's going to have probably a less than 24-hour turnaround from uh, the point we're talking to it actually being released uh, released on iTunes. So thanks again. Yeah, you're welcome. So it's been uh, it's been almost six months since we recorded our first interview, and uh, by all accounts, you've been a very very busy uh, busy father, busy artist, and uh, it, it looks like you've been healthy. So you may have even returned to the ice as a hockey player. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about what you have going on right now, and some of the things that uh, that have kept you busy and have helped build momentum with your brand. So um, why don't you explain a little bit about your fourth solo exhibition? that is getting uh, getting ready to be opened uh, at the Wix Lounge in New York called The Futurism. Awesome. Yeah, well, uh, I, I just hung the show today. Um, everything came together. It was great. I had a, <clears throat> had a blast working with the Wix team. They're a great group of people. Um, it's going to feature my futurist paintings. Um, so there's going to be, uh, I think, eight paintings in the show altogether, um, including several works that have gotten a lot of publicity recently. Um, so I'm really excited about the show, and uh, the show itself is uh, a series of work that is inspired by futurism itself, which was a movement in the 20s that started in Italy um, and kind of migrated itself to the United States. And once it hit here, uh, it was kind of reappropriated into something called precisionism. And the entire series is really inspired by one particular painting, which is the figure five in gold by Charles DeMuth. Um, and futurism <clears throat> is basically just capturing motion. And the idea of motion and space and movement uh, within a within a fixed picture plane. So I'm very excited about the series. I'm really really happy I'm going to show it because you know you work on something for an entire year and you get to a point where it almost seems overwhelming to get your you know stuff together, if you will, to get the show going. But I'm glad I did, and I'm very fortunate that you know I have a great partner with Wix because they're they're very cool. They don't charge any fees, and it fits with my business model. That's great, and uh, you're going to be having a, uh, a reception there on March 26th, is that correct? And will that be open to the public, and if people did want to come to that, uh, how can they get in? Yeah, fantastic. It's, uh, it is, it's going to be March 26th, that's a Wednesday. The opening is from 7 to 9 p.m., um, and it's going to be at the Wix Lounge, which is at 235 West 23rd Street on the 8th floor, uh, between 7th and 8th, directly across from the Chelsea Hotel. 
Um, you can RSVP through the website, which is thefuturism.com. Uh, and you can also RSVP by emailing me directly, jason at B-O-R-B-A-Y.com. I'm not afraid of giving that out. It's the worst kept secret on the internet. I think everybody in the world has my email address. <laughs> Very good. So I, I was taking a look at uh, your uh, futurism uh, paintings, and there's been a clear uh, change or evolution in styles away from the uh, collage style work that kind of defined what you had done previously. Um, talk to us a little bit about your um, about your change in style. I know you're still doing some uh, some collage work, but what led you to, uh, to to move in a different or new direction? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great great question and talking point. I mean, essentially, what I try to do is I, I try to do a little of everything all the time. So. You know, when I do my acrylic-based uh, location paintings, which I started doing uh, pretty much exclusively out of the gate in 2009, I like to continue to develop those and develop stylistically and push the boundaries of where I feel comfortable uh, to create something new that I might not have otherwise come up with. So this series is a look at that and also in a way of trying to trying to create a visual texture with paint itself to almost give it the feel of a collage. Um, but simultaneously, like you like you had mentioned, I'm, I'm working on several commissions right now of portraits, uh, another collage portrait that just went live, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a bit. Um, so, you know, honestly, it's uh, again, it really kind of comes down to running. I mean, if, if all you do is run five times a thousand, you're never going to sharpen the dagger and you're never going to work on the endurance, you know? Right. Yep. Absolutely. So um, what want to talk with you about some works of yours that have been uh, that have gotten some news coverage uh, in the last couple months and we since we spoke first um, on December 3rd uh, Jack Dorsey who is was a co-founder of Twitter and uh, square had uh, had an article released about his 11 favorite things that you can buy online and these 11 things ranged from a, a $28 map of a Moscow transit system to a knife I uh, talked about a pie that he wanted to buy a guitar, but also on there was your portrait of Uma Thurman. Uh, so did this come uh, completely out of nowhere, and was it a surprise to you? And what uh, what kind of cascade effect did this did this have on uh, on your brand reputation and kind of your momentum? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, within seconds of the first uh, time Jack retweeted anything that I had put out there, it crashed my website. Seconds later. <laughs> yeah, he has. I think. He, well, obviously, being a co-founder of Twitter, he has over two and a half million Twitter followers. I looked, so I, I can imagine. Yeah, if you pop a few zeros off, that's about where I'm at. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it, what this was, it was, it was really just kind of an opportunity for me that you know, I was grateful to find based on uh, a lot of research. So, you know, I used to work in advertising, so I still keep an eye on a lot of really good advertising newsletters. Um, so I, I read paid content, Silicon Alley Insider, um, Quadruple A Smart Brief, and I keep tabs on what's happening in the technology community because, you know, first of all, what happens in tech helps people who have an online business. Second of all, it's good to know where the money is flowing and know which companies were acquired for staggering sums and know that there's a good group of people to target out there who might want to collect. Um, but anyway, I was following uh, Square very closely, and I think almost everybody in the small business community picked up Square because it had, you know, it has the swipe, it has a good 2.75% charge, which is, is completely reasonable. Um, but when I, I kept looking for when they were going to put a marketplace up, 
Uh, and this, as soon as they did, literally, I put up the marketplace overnight and I wrote a blog post called Square Up with Bourbet. And I just literally, I tweeted it out into the world and just wrote like Square Up and, you know, copied Square. The next thing I know, you know, Jack Dorsey found it, retweeted it, and then tweeted out the direct link to Uma. And then, you know, things progressed from there. And I ended up on the Silicon Alien side of myself, which was fantastic. And, you know, as you could imagine, um, having a, a newly minted high profile billionaire uh, as an evangelist is humongous. So he's he's been really fantastic. I'm really grateful that, you know, I have his ear and that he's promoting me as much as he is. Yeah. So um, it, it last glance that I, I took this morning on the Internet, he has a a roughly estimated net worth of over $2 billion. But I, I noticed something interesting on your website, and that is the Uma Therma painting is still available. So how does, uh, how does somebody with a net worth of $2 billion say that one of his 11 favorite things is a painting by you that may run him in the $6,000 range, but he hasn't purchased it yet? Uh, how do those two things reconcile? Well, you know, that, that of course, is a paradox on, on the surface level. Fortunately for me... Um, you know, he did acquire a different piece of mine, which is great. So I'm, I'm very proud to call him a collector. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. Uma is a strange painting because uh, literally I have people who just tell me over and over again that they love it. Um, you know, in fact, I had someone come over the other day who was looking at it pretty seriously. And it, the, the common theme is I can't believe that she hasn't sold yet. And but it, it's it's almost like everybody's kind of watching each other to see who's going to end up uh, acquiring it. Um, but for now, I'm happy to have her over the couch in my living room. And, you know, if someone decides to pull the trigger on that penetrating gaze, they're going to have a, a little slice of Kill Bill for from here to kingdom come. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that he has purchased uh, something else of yours. That was going to be something I asked you about. And, he, and you know, I mean, e- even if he had not, I'm sure the publicity that uh, that his uh, promotion of your promotion to you uh, alone has given you what would flow down and, and pay itself back uh, many times over. Um, in fact, I even felt the, the, the flow down effect of the momentum that, that his article created. Um, it came out about six weeks after I released our first interview. And our interview had been downloaded maybe, I think it was around 100 times in those six weeks. Um, and within 24 hours of that article uh, hitting the internet, our interview was downloaded 250 or 300 times. So um, so it, it clearly created a, a flow down effect that I even felt uh, on downloads of my podcast. So thank you and thanks to Jack Dorsey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the thing I the thing I admire most about Jack is you know, he's out there and he really is a champion of the, the independent brands that he helps with the technology company that he's created, both of them, actually. Um, and, you know, where the square approach is, it really mirrors what I'm looking to do, because I do feel that the traditional art model is antiquated. It's bloated. It's disproportionate uh, to the artist. And I'm out there to do it on my own. And when I have people like you know, Jack Dorsey and companies like Square and companies like Wix who are willing to get behind me and really help me out and promote me and, and vice versa. It's it's very helpful. So I'm truly grateful. Great. Well, um, just on February 24th now, I want to shift gears here. You announced and uh, released 
that uh, you've done the book cover for a book called Michael Jackson, Inc., The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of a Billion-Dollar Empire, which uh, has been written by Zach O'Malley-Greenberg. Um, and Zach is a staff writer at Forbes magazine where he covers business, news, sports, and he's also written a biography on Jay-Z. So um, tell us a little bit about how your collaboration with Zach uh, came about to do the cover for his Michael Jackson book. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just call it a tale of modern day hustle. I mean, I, I did my Kings of Hip Hop series in 2011, and I chose the seven hip hop artists based on the criteria that they released an album within that year. They were involved in social media and were entrepreneurial. And based on that list, uh, I painted seven people. I picked one through four, and I think three tied for sixth or something. Um, so I was like, this is crazy. And literally, Zach had released his cash kings that day and it was almost identical so i called into forbes general line asked for zach o'malley greenberg got him on the phone i asked him if he had a few minutes he said yes told him about the series he came over um we went out to lunch i showed him the work he wrote about it on forbes.com and we became friends and you know he was telling me you know because we're creative so we're always talking about what we're working on and he had just put out his empire state of mind which jay-z loved by the way that's not true, but he did give a nice little uh, soundbite for Zach there. And Empire State of Mind is his biography that he wrote about Jay-Z. Yes, it's an unofficial analysis of the business of Jay-Z, but it's a beautifully written and a well-researched work. So, I mean, I love the book. I have a signed copy and an unsigned as well. Um, but, yeah, so he was like, oh, I'm doing Michael Jackson Inc. And I'm like, man, it would be awesome to do the cover. And he's like, that's a great idea. So, you know, it took a, it was a long process. I mean, it was a year and a half and, and Zach pitched it to Simon and Schuster. And, you know, I, I didn't, I almost just assumed that it was dead. And then I got a call one day and they said, you know, we want to talk to you. And sure enough, Zach, he went in there and he, he fought for me to get the cover and we embarked on this journey together. And we were very collaborative with the composition, the image that we chose, um, everything right down to the final details. And, you know, it's done, and the book cover went live, and I'm excited because I'm going to have thousands and thousands and hopefully maybe a million versions of one of my paintings in the hands of people across the world. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Um, take us a little bit inside the process of actually creating the work. Is that, is that a 40-ounce uh, bottle of water you're drinking out of? Yeah, I am. Uh, it's, it's a carbonated mineral water. I, I <laughs> I'd probably be drinking a forty of something later uh, if it was about seven o'clock. Wow, that that that's in a traditional small mouth forty bottle. So wow, way, way to support the forty community. So my uh, my one of my first guests um, brews is the collector of the world's largest forty ounce uh, bottle collection. Would be uh, glad to see your support in it. So um, <laughs> so before I got distracted by seeing that. Wanted to ask you to take us a little bit inside the process of actually creating that work because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but a little bit more a little bit more work went into it than just you picking a picture of Michael and saying I'm going to uh, to create a work out of it. There was actually a lot of thought that went into um, the dimensions of the face, how it was going to be portrayed, and things of that nature. Am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, first and foremost, when you're dealing with something that's going to be published on a wide scale, you have to be extremely sensitive about intellectual property. Um, so that's something that we were concerned with and Simon and Schuster was concerned with. So, you know, we went down and we were meticulous from the very start with uh, negotiating the contract, making sure the clauses were fair to both sides. Uh, there were some clauses that I omitted and they were very flexible about that, which was great. 
Um, and then when it came down to the image, you know, we have to make sure, you know, you take something, do something, do something else to it. And then I added another like three layers of change just to be sure. So, you know, I went through and I, I bought every Michael Jackson DVD that I could find. And I watched probably about 40 hours of footage. And I took maybe 100 different photos, whittled them down to 20, then to 10, cropped them down. And then once we selected uh, an image, I then went in. Um, I flipped it horizontal. I actually stretched his face out a little bit, and a lot of people are noticing that he looks a, a little chubby. But you know, I just think it makes him look kind of healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, I changed the color of his outfit, the style, the clothes. Uh, his hat is much smaller. It's actually mirrored after one of my hats. So I wanted it to have some authorship, and just to make sure that you know, for certain, there's a hundred percent certainty that that image of Michael Jackson except for in real life and not even in real life never yeah. exists it's a, it's a completely fictional interpretation of uh, of the man so which is which is neat and it's t it's totally original so it really uh, really helps brand uh, it really helps brand the book and brand you as well so um, so when is that uh, book going to be available and how will people be able to purchase it well, it's uh, it's going to be available on June fifth, and you can actually go to Amazon right now and pre-order the book, which I would uh, definitely suggest because I was fortunate enough to read the early drafts of the book, and it's it's excellent. Uh, he, you know, Zach is he is uh, he's meticulous in his research. He did, he delves so deeply into what he's doing. I mean, he spent time at the Neverland Ranch. He he turned over stones that have been covered by moss for years. So I think anyone who's interested in Michael Jackson, anyone who's interested in business, I mean, just the story of how he built the empire of the Beatles catalog. I mean, just the way he negotiated that is amazing. So I mean, Michael Jackson gets a lot of uh, a lot of credit for being a, a wonderful performer. Um, he gets a lot of derision for a ton of things that went on in the press, but in reality, he was he was a very sage businessman and really set the foundation for the businessmen in music in the future, the Jay-Zs, the Kanye Wests. Um, so it's it's super exciting, and I'm really just you know thrilled to be a part of it because I admire Zach's work, and it's important to, to work with people you admire. Excellent. Um, another... Uh... Another piece of news that I saw recently about your work is that there is a, a chance that it's going to be muraled and featured in an episode of Glee. What can you tell us about that, if anything, yet? Well, so here's the thing. I was uh, sitting down and checking out my Google Analytics, per usual. Um, one of the many things that I do during the day, I keep Google Analytics, I keep my junk mail open in case I miss any interesting collector uh, leads and I keep open my Square dashboard, my website dashboard, and uh, constantly Google myself all day long because uh, you want to stay ahead of the curve there, of course. Um, but yeah, I saw someone from Paramount was on my site for an extensive period of time and they gave me a call and said that they loved my work and wanted to have it blown up into a giant mural to be in an episode of Glee. And I was like, well, that sounds awesome. I'm very excited. So uh, we furiously went back and forth again. I, you know, renegotiated some aspects of the contract. Uh, we arranged for the high-res files to go over, and that's where we left off. And you know, it's one of those things where it very much could be in the episode, and it very much could end up on the cutting room floor. So, right. you know, it's something that is cool, and it's a nice thing to say on uh, Facebook because the interest is there. And it's going to come down to how they edit the show, and that's that. You know, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with it. This is uh, something I didn't expect, and it's completely gravy. 
Yeah, which uh, uh, what piece of yours is it that um, that may or may not be featured? Or well, the that... may or may not be featured is going to be uh, Neil's Coffee Shop with a, a change in the sign uh, language to match the sh- the shop on the show, and also my recent commission of fifty five West Eleventh Street. Very good. So, speaking of your commission work, uh, which according to your website, it currently has a wait list, which is probably uh, one of the best things any any artist could ever uh, ever ask for is a wait list to actually be able to you know produce work. Um, talk to us about some of the commission work that you've done lately. I know you had some uh, a piece take you out to the Grand Tetons in Wyoming, and you've been working on an anti heroes series. Uh, of commission portraits as well. Why don't you take us inside uh, your, your commission work and how those have come about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, you know, I started taking commissions in 2009 and, you know, it took me until about halfway through 2013 to get a waiting list. So it's something that's hard earned, but certainly well appreciated when it happens. Um, you know, from a business standpoint, when you're an artist, you never know when you're going to sell. So the only way you can predict any kind of stable income is to have commissions because, you know, you have 50% up front and 50% on delivery. So that's been really helpful. I've been very fortunate. Um, like you said, I, I was commissioned to do two anti-heroes in uh, Tony Montana in Scarface, which you can actually see behind me right now, yep. is a work in progress. And uh, I did Walter White, which is finished and now in its final home in Montreal. Um, and this particular collector is a gentleman named uh, Robert Oranger. And Uh, I share his name because, you know, he's kind of become more than a collector to me. He's become a bit of a mentor. Um, He found me randomly online, came to my kick-ass actor show, and acquired my Hunter S. Depp piece, and then invited my wife and I up to Montreal to see the Islanders' Habs game from his awesome seats and just to talk. And, you know, it's just his interest in business and his interest in art and his interest in the New York Post, which are all three interests that we share. Uh, kind of spurned a friendship. And, you know, he's somebody that I get in touch with when I'm not sure about a direction I might want to go in. And, you know, just to kind of bounce an idea here or there off of off of someone who has a lot of experience in different areas. So um, that's been amazing. And then, of course, you know, the commission for two pieces for his birthday, which is amazing. So I'm, I'm having a blast with those. And uh, what about the piece that took you out to uh, Wyoming uh, in uh, Jackson Hole, which is a, a beautiful area of the country to get to visit even just uh, for fun, but to get to uh, go out there for work just to research a piece must have been uh, must have been great. Yeah, I mean, Jackson Hole is a gorgeous place. And, you know, of course, you definitely feel super pimp getting on the plane and, and being like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm on my way to Jackson Hole to do a commissioned uh, painting. Which, of course, I, I went out there and took some source images and ended up doing back in New York because, quite frankly, I couldn't spend that much time away from my daughter. But, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Went out there. And uh, this particular collector I met years ago playing hockey. And, in fact, he's come to a bunch of art shows that I've curated of solo and group shows. And I've I've coordinated the sale of three different artists to him. And he just was very honest. You know, there was nothing that I had done up to the point of this painting that he was really interested in. And then he really liked the future style and wanted something in Jackson Hole. So we were able to work it out. So that was very cool. Um, I did have a little bit of a mishap out there. He rented snowmobiles for us. And uh, being a competitive jerk that I am, I got real excited about four hours in on our 70-mile journey. And I, I tried to gas it up to 60. I got up to about 52 
And then I, I was on this open field and I hit a turn and there was a snow bank and it was too late. So I went, I slammed into the bank. I went flying about 20 feet head first. I like probably blacked out for half a second and <laughs> completely submerged in snow. And I thought maybe I was dead. And I finally got up and I fell and I was like, oh no, I broke my legs, but I was just in snow up to my waist. And <laughs> I crawled out, my snowmobiles flipped upside down and he comes over the crest and he's like, oh Jesus, I flew this guy out here to do a painting. He breaks his arm, but Turned out to be okay. I learned a, a yet another valuable lesson in my long life here so far, knock on wood. So uh, no more snowmobiles for this guy. <laughs> so um, you have a back uh, a backlog and a wait list for your commission work, which is amazing and fantastic. So how are you as an artist uh, going to be balancing your commission work with also continuing to pursue creation of your of your own work that's purely coming from your own mind and your motivation uh that, that really allows you to evolve your style um i would imagine most commission works are people looking at stuff you've already done and wanting something in that light so how do you balance that with continuing to create new work and new style well, yeah, I mean, everything is very progressive. So fortunately, the commissions tend to be in the style or two styles that I'm working on at the same time. So the collage portrait style has evolved quite a bit, you know, from painting to painting. And that's something that I continue to evolve. So the commission work fits right in line with what I'm looking to do because it gives me another opportunity to really focus and hone in on the collage and see if I could take it to the next level. Um, the location commissions recently have all been in the futurist style. So that worked out very synergistically with what I was looking to create. But you know, the reality is, I mean, I love doing commission work. It's it's collaborating with a collector for something that they're going to cherish, and it's something very specific. So I, I really enjoy doing commissions. Um, I, I always find time to do a separate series. Uh, I'm wrapping up the Futurist series for now, and I don't know what is going to be the next series, so I'm kind of excited about the prospect because... You know, every year I paint the Guggenheim for 20 years, I'm going to do it. This will be year number six. And I feel like every time the new year rolls around, I have no idea what the style is going to be. And by the time it's June and I'm painting the Guggenheim, I have a clear vision of a new style. So I'm just going to kind of let let the things happen that happen and see where I'm at. Excellent. Well, I will, uh, as long as you're willing, I'm going to continue to uh, stay in touch with you to, to, to talk about how your style evolves and get inside your head once or twice a year to keep people uh, keep people updated about what's going on. Yeah, that would be great. In fact, uh, this is the first place that I'll be mentioning it, but I'm going to, uh, as a sort of surprise, I'm sneaking my Michael Jackson painting into my futurist exhibition. So, uh, the first time he'll be unveiled to the world will be on the 26th. So um, the book cover in person in bright orange and blue color will be there at the Wix Lounge. Awesome. Well, I, obviously you've been busy as an artist, but uh, I know you've been busy as a dad as well. You have your young daughter. Um, if you've been finding any time for any extracurriculars, uh, you, you back on? I, I think you've been back on the ice playing some hockey. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Every Friday playing with the boys at TBD, which is our team name and has been for six years. And uh, I, I was sorry to see that uh, the Olympics knocked out your uh, the, the star of your favorite team, New York, New York Islanders. John Tavares suffered a season ending injury playing for his country. That had to be a real uh, a real blow. <laughs> yeah, it's a real blow. And, you know, honestly, being an uh, Islanders fan has been a, a blow to my self-esteem <laughs> since the early 1980s. And in fact, there's huge drama right now about Thomas Vanek, who's probably not going to get moved at the trade deadline. So we just gave away a couple players of picks for nothing. But 
that's uh, that's what it's like to be an Islanders fan. You know, it's just a perpetual sadness and, and turmoil. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, uh, I, I can't thank you enough for, for taking, uh, you know, a quick 25, 30 minutes out of your day to, to give us an update on what you've been up to and where you're headed. Um, you mentioned your website and some places people can find you earlier, but why don't you plug, uh, plug yourself uh, a couple more times on how people can find you and follow you online. Uh, there's not enough outlets for me to plug myself as, much as I'd like to, Scott. So, uh, you can. Well, the show that is going to be going on is the Futurism, just t h e f u t u r i s m dot com. Uh, my primary website is borbay dot com, b o r b a y dot com, and my Twitter handle is at borbay. Email is Jason at borbay, um, and you could find me on Facebook, borbay. So. Uh, that's kind of the underlying theme, but uh, it's uh, always great to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, and uh, I look forward to coming back many times as you'll have me. No, likewise, Jason. I appreciate it, and if people would like to follow the podcast, they can find it online at comfortzoneexit.com and on Twitter at comfortzoneexit. And coming next on Comfort Zone Exit episode 11, which I hope to release on March 16th, which is NCAA Tournament Selection Sunday, is an interview with Barry Inseong. Barry is a gentleman who formed the Facebook group called March Madness in Las Vegas. It is an online community and brotherhood of over 2,000 people who are headed this year to Las Vegas for the first four days of the NCAA tournament. Barry and I will be discussing why he took the effort of creating the group, what bonds the people together. We'll talk about NCAA tournament pools, brackets, wagering, and also be discussing in depth what will be happening at venues and casinos for viewing parties of the NCAA tournament all across Las Vegas on March 20th through the 23rd. So if you're a fan of NCAA tournament and Las Vegas, please check it out. Thanks so much for listening.